Happy Wednesday. Uh, happy hump day to you and yours. Uh, we're midway through the week, and just like we do every hump day, every Wednesday, awesome, awesome show uh, planned for you today. Uh, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, and I've cooked up something special today. I hope that I do my part and deliver it at a high level. Uh, we've really just got one topic today that we're going to talk with T.J. Moe first about, and then we're going to talk with uh, Pastor Anthony and Pastor Bobby during Tennessee Harmony about this exact same topic. Uh, I'm going to spend the next 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30, uh, unpacking uh, this topic. It's, you know, I, 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 let's just hope I don't blow it. Uh, and I, if I do my job, you guys are in for a tremendous hour-long show. Uh, so buckle up, call your friends, uh, tell your friends and family, tell your kids, daddy, mommy, it's going to be busy uh, here for the next hour. Uh, Jason Whitlock has started a fire, and I'm going to watch and see how far this blaze goes and see who gets burned down and who gets made new. Uh, by, by this fire that Jason Whitlock has started. All right, so uh, if you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe. Make sure you're, hit the, you're hitting the likes. Make sure you're putting a comment in at the bottom of our YouTube page, uh, youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. If you're listening over Apple or wherever podcasts are, give me that five-star review. Uh, leave a comment. I read them all. Uh, I love your comments at the end of your Apple reviews. Love, I, I get insight, information, suggestions, what we're doing well, what we need to improve on when you guys leave me those messages. Uh, and so get ready today. You're just going to be like, oh, my God, this show's incredible. Why can't it be like Wednesday, March 16th every day? All right, so uh, let's get rolling. In pursuit of personal glory and wealth, American men have taken the role of Dr. Jack Kevorkian. You remember Dr. Jack, the doctor of death? Yeah. We're assisting in our own death, undermining our role as leaders, shirking our responsibility to shepherd God's garden. We've embraced the diversity, inclusion, and equity religion favored by women, the LGBTQ community, and race idolaters. This carefully constructed coalition of Marxists are the foot soldiers of global elites. They evangelize and communicate through Silicon Valley's social media apps. The fundamental tenet and organizing principle of DIE is that Christian men are the bane of society and the obstacle stopping women, the gender confused, and people of color from realizing their American dream. The goal of D.I.E. is to kill Christian men and dislodge masculine traditional men from American power. We, men, are collaborating with our enemies. We pat ourselves on the back and bask in glory every time we weaken our grip on leadership. Tuesday, Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh celebrated his history-making decision to add a female graduate assistant coach 
to his coaching staff. With the selection of Mimi Bolden-Morris, Mission became the first school in Big Ten history to name a woman to its coaching staff. Bolden-Morris just finished her college basketball career. She was the starting point guard on the Georgetown basketball team this past season. Starting in June, she will work with Michigan's quarterbacks. Harbaugh fired off this self-congratulatory statement uh, through the Michigan Sports Information Department. Uh, quote, I have always believed in providing opportunities for individuals who are passionate about football. And Mimi is someone who has shown that drive to become a football coach. Mimi is very bright, intelligent, and competitive young woman who will be a great addition to our program and offensive coaching staff. We look forward to having Mimi transition into this role working with our quarterbacks. We can't wait to see the new perspective she brings to our team. Mm, end quote. Oh, I just can't wait to see what a former women's college basketball player brings to the QB room of Michigan football. I'm just on pins and needles. I mean, Jim Harbaugh has to be on pins and needles. I mean, a basketball point guard from Georgetown who's dedicated her life to being a football coach is coming to the Michigan QB room. I mean, oh my God. Jim Harbaugh, a former NFL player, he's going to be dazzled. I mean, Jim Harbaugh played quarterback in Michigan, quarterback in the NFL, but man, he just can't wait to find out what this basketball player from Georgetown brings to the quarterback room. Donuts and coffee? I, I mean, what is she going to bring to, and I know Jim Harbaugh's not in the quarterback room because he's the head coach, but I'm surely they have a quarterback's coach Surely they have offensive coaches that played football and actually did spend their lives preparing to be football coaches. But this female basketball player from Georgetown, boy, when she gets here, it's gonna be off the chains. Harbaugh is following the trend established by the NFL. Uh, last season, the NFL employed a dozen female coaches. Diversity, inclusion, and equity are now the highest priorities in sports, particularly football. We used to use sports as a meritocratic platform to develop leaders. The meritocracy aspect has been eliminated so that sports can serve America's new religion, D-I-E. Do we think Bolden Morris's drive to coach football supersedes the thousands of boys and men who play the game? I I'm a bit suspicious. I think her and Harbaugh's desire to build their individual brands by any means necessary supersedes most people's. Corporate media is obsessed with forced diversity. Harbaugh and Bolden Morris are seizing an opportunity to capitalize on that obsession. Hiring a female football coach is the new ice bucket challenge. Ohio State will soon counter by naming a female soccer player a special teams coach. 
Michigan State will scout for grad assistants at softball practice. If Rutgers is smart and honest, it will nab its female assistant coach from Tony Soprano's Bada Bing Club. But Harbaugh was first. He made history. Uh, and Bolden Morris issued her own statement uh, on Michigan letterhead. She was part of the release. Uh, here's what she had to say. It speaks volumes to the efforts that Coach Harbaugh has made to create an environment of inclusion. These opportunities have been an anomaly for a, for a black woman until recently. <laughs> See, there it is. The race card played to ward off criticism of Harbaugh's publicity stunt, played so the public is blinded to the real agenda. A college football coach's job is to mold men, not create an inclusive environment that meets the diversity standards of the D.I.E. religion. See, you see that game they play? Let's play the race card, because if you object, or if you raise it like, hold on, is this the most qualified person? Is this really a sound football decision? So they played the race card preemptively so that anybody that raises their hand and questions the sanity of this, the rightfulness of this, oh, well, they're just racist or they're sellouts. They don't believe in black progress. So that, again, that's why Bolden Harris, or Bolden Morris, I'm sorry, just played the race card. Shut up. Don't anybody in the mainstream media question this. Don't anybody go on a YouTube channel. Don't anybody go on ESPN and say, what are we doing here? How is the basketball point guard at Georgetown the most qualified person to get a graduate assistant football job at Michigan working in the quarterback room? Someone make this make sense. Well, they don't have to make it make sense because it's now been packaged as racial inclusion. The agenda isn't racial inclusion. The agenda is dislodging men from places of leadership. Football has been a training ground for male leaders for about a hundred years. Football, again, just because social media is simple-minded doesn't mean you have to be simple-minded. But there is a profile of American leadership, who runs companies, who becomes CEOs, going through the football process, builds leaders. And a lot of the people leading companies, leading corporations, leading anything, played football and they learned their leadership skills by participating and playing in football. And since women can't really play football, the DIE gods have come up with a solution. We're gonna install them into coaching positions. And we're gonna take young women like Bolden Morris, install them in, in 
key critical coaching positions. We're gonna displace young men from those opportunities to create room for Bolden Morris. And we're gonna label it progress and anybody who is against it is sexist and or racist. That's the priority. Inclusion, diversity, equity. There was a time in America when molding men into leaders was a high priority. That era strengthened America and made us the envy of the world. Now, China prioritizes building strong men while we seek to strengthen men who want to be women and women who want to be men. Adidas just recently released a string of commercials celebrating a transgender volleyball player, Tiffany Abreu. Abreu plays on the Brazilian women's national team. She's being marketed as a hero to young people. Watch these commercials. Eu sou a Tiffany Abreu. Eu jogo pelo Brasil e por todas as mulheres trans. Quando você torce por mim? Todos nós ganhamos. Dentro e fora das quadras. A minha história não é impossível, porque eu sou possível. I think that's in Portuguese. Here's an English version of a similar commercial built around uh, this dude, Tiffany Abreu. It's impossible to take hold of the world spotlight overnight, create your own uniform, be a cover model, a powerful athlete, or compete as a trans woman. Impossible? No. I'm possible. Look, what's going on here is completely obvious. We are normalizing and have normalized the rejection of manhood. It started with Caitlyn Jenner receiving an ESPN award as the most courageous athlete in 2015, nearly 40 years after he won a gold medal at the 1976 Montreal Olympics. Jenner courageously rejected his manhood and transitioned to womanhood. For the gods of diversity, inclusion, and equity, there's no more courageous sacrifice than renouncing your manhood. The only thing that remotely compares is turning over leadership responsibility to women, particularly the role of developing boys into men. Jim Harbaugh might win the ESPY Award for Courage this year. Or maybe it will be Apple CEO Tim Cook. This week, Apple released a new series of emojis that included pregnant men. Let me break some news to you. Men can't get pregnant. Caitlyn Jenner and Tiffany Abreu can have $100 million in surgery and they'll still never carry a baby. Despite their best efforts, the gods of DIE cannot overrule God's design. Tim Cook controls the App Store, not biology. Cook is a don in the BLM LGBTQ plus 
Alphabet Mafia. In 2014, he publicly stated that being gay is one of the greatest gifts God gave him. I don't have an interest in belittling Cook, but his assertion is the equivalent of me saying gluttony and a love of promiscuous sex are the two of the greatest gifts God gave me. We live in a time where we pretend our sins are gifts from God rather than sins we inherited from Adam and Eve. I don't blame Tim Cook for being confused. The confusion emanates directly from the mouths of people who say they are followers of Christ. Christianity has been overtaken by women and weak men. Race idolaters who stand in the pulpit and pretend their bigotry has been sanctioned by God. Here's an example. They hate us, but they love being like us. I'm gonna walk heavy. That, that, that now, that, that is popular to get full of lips. Yeah, yeah. And you like how sisters look from the front and back now. Because you're going to pay money to get what you can't grow in-house. That what your mama and daddy can't give you, the doctor can give you. I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk. That, that you like our brown skin. You like our big lips. You like them wide hips. You like that sunshine from behind. That because you can't have it naturally, you got to go pay somebody to get what the Lord blessed us with. I'm going to walk heavy. That is probably the most extreme version of the race idolatry that's being preached from the pulpit. That's a minister, T.D. Hughes, out of Chicago. I think it's Third Baptist Church in Chicago. That, that's the most extreme version. But there are plenty of examples of the race idolatry that is being preached directly from the pulpit. A lot of people, I, I give this guy credit. He's out of the closet with it. A lot of people just sneak it in. They're, they're not as obvious. But this whole dismantling of men, this whole diversity, inclusion, and equity initiative and agenda, is attached to racial idolatry. They work hand in hand, like peanut butter and jelly, like Batman and Robin. It's just like the woman, uh, Mimi Bolden Morris, how she played the race card on her hire at Michigan to deflect from like, well, hold on, man. Ain't no way she's the most qualified. What are we doing here? Football had been about developing young men or young boys into men. And now a, a, a female basketball player at Georgetown jumps ahead of the line and gets a job and an opportunity. Oh, but if you complain you're being racist, that's why these, uh, these opportunities have been an anomaly for black, they've been an anomaly for women because women don't play football.
and there's no proof that they coach it well. Again, I don't want to sound like Archie Bunker, this incredible sexist pig, but I'm just going to keep it real. There's a responsibility that falls on men to be leaders. And these training grounds and platforms that had been building male leadership are being destroyed and undermined under the pretense of diversity, inclusion, and equity, and ending racism. We must dismantle men to end racism because women aren't racist. Women are perfect. Women don't, do, if, if men were just more like women, the world would be a better place. Y'all gonna have to go sell that BS someplace else. Because look, I, I do not hate women or, or, or think they're the scourge of the earth. But, but I'm not gonna sit up here and pretend like they're freer of sin than I am. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I wasn't placed and called into a position of leadership by birth. I'm not going to reject my biblical values because uh, the, the social puppet masters of the world have decided they're tired of male leadership. I'm not folding. And I'm not going for this racial okie doke that is coming from the church. The church is working hand in hand with the LGBTQ and all the other movements trying to dismantle men. And they're pretending like they're not. But anytime they're promoting this racial idolatry and it's in the black and the white church, everybody swallowed the Black Lives Matter BS. That Marxist, anti-God religion, Black Lives Matter, it was swallowed by both black and white churches and preached from the pulpit. Now I just showed you an extreme example, but trust me, there are soft examples of this everywhere, pervasive throughout the church. So I'm sitting there, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Tim Cook, Adidas, I'm putting them on blast. But they're preaching the exact same diversity, inclusion, and equity as ministers are preaching from the pulpit. It's the same Bible. The real doctors of death are in the pulpit. Jim Harbaugh, Tim Cook, they're just following along. Tim Cook is out here shouting that uh, being gay is the greatest gift God gave him. Trust me, some minister told him that. Some minister sanctioned that belief. That's why he was bold enough to say it publicly. I... We got to snap out of it and, and, and realize that this whole little racial debate that they have us in is a gimmick and a scheme. It's a Trojan horse that's dislodging 
men from the responsibility of being men. Any man that transitions, goes through some surgery, takes some hormones to become a woman, we've turned into a hero. And they're the most courageous people on the planet. And many of us that call ourselves the believers have co-signed this madness. I've talked to so many friends that have belonged to the same church for years and have watched their ministers over the last 20 years pivot on a dime from preaching what was in the actual Bible about sexuality to now never touching that and constantly talking about being inclusive, constantly talking about equity, constantly talking about diversity. They've changed their language and their message to fit the times. And again, like I said, I showed you an extreme version of the T.D. Hughes, the guy from Chicago. He's not slick about it. But most of these ministers are very slick about injecting this garbage into the gospel. They live in fear of their congregation. They live in fear of being outside social media popularity. They don't want the heat of standing on the word. And many men don't want the heat of leadership. They're cowards. They're raising their hands and surrendering. And so I'm looking at Jim Harbaugh, big, tough football player, NFL quarterback, head football coach. He wants to be popular. He wants to make headlines and make news. He wants to recruit better because he knows he's recruiting a lot of athletes who are raised by single mamas. And that's why the whole D.I.E. religion, diversity, inclusion and equity, that religion. So many people in the congregation are women, particularly black women, because they're single mamas. And Jim Harbaugh knows exactly who he's speaking to. Single mamas raising these athletes that he wants to recruit. And so he wants to be able to go in uh, to their homes and <laughs> see this black girl I gave this job coaching with us. Love black women. I'm not racist. I'm empowering black women. I got Mimi Bolden Harris uh, Morris right off the basketball court and installed her as a coach in our quarterback's room. I'm the perfect coach to help you further emasculate your black son. I'm doing it on my coaching staff, just like you doing it in this home. Send your son to me and I will make damn sure he only answers to the black woman or the white man. That's his recruiting speech, and it's going to work. Jim Harbaugh wants to keep collecting them checks 
and winning football games by any means necessary. And that means if half his coaching staff needs to be women, he'll do it by the end of this decade. They'll just keep adding coaches to that staff. They were not going to subtract it. They'll just keep adding coaches to that staff till half of them are women. I, I apologize and, and hope that I'm being heard properly. Because if I sound like some sexist pig that's anti-women, I'm not. I'm pro-men doing their jobs. This world is in total chaos because men refuse to do their jobs. Because men are refusing to take their responsibility of leadership seriously. They've bought the whole diversity, inclusion, and equity, and we'll have ministers on later and maybe they can show me the passages in the Bible that talk about diversity, inclusion, and equity. I'm, I'm no biblical scholar. I'm no expert. Maybe there are chapters and verses and, and whole passages of the Bible dealing with diversity, inclusion, and equity. And we'll learn about it and I will retract everything I'm saying here. I'm going to tell you about uh, our friends at ExpressVPN, then TJ Moe is going to join me. Uh, have you ever stopped to wonder why internet access is so much cheaper these days? It's because the internet service providers aren't just making money off subscription fees, they're also making money from spying on your internet activity and selling your history and data to big tech companies. So what's the best way to make sure that 100% of your data is encrypted? You guessed it, ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN creates a secure tunnel between all your devices and the internet so that everything you do online is encrypted. And it's not just for your phone or computer. ExpressVPN works on all your devices, your tablet, smart TVs, even your router, so your entire family can always stay protected. Right now, go to expressvpn.com fearless to get three extra months of protection for free. Your data is your business protected at expressvpn.com slash fearless. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash fearless to learn more. All right, TJ Moe. X. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to uh, St. Louis, Missouri and bring in the show me kid, TJ Moe. Uh, TJ, obviously, uh, former football star at the University of Missouri in the SEC. Uh, now he's a real estate tycoon in St. Louis. Tycoon, that's a little overstated. Soon to be tycoon. Uh, TJ, uh, you're from the uh, college football world, had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Uh, you heard me explain what I think Jim Harbaugh's motives are for uh, bringing this female coach onto his coaching staff. What, what do you think is motivating Jim Harbaugh? Well, I think you're exactly right. I think, I think you nailed it. It is, all of this is a DEI, as we like to call it, DIE push, because it's, it, 
It is just what the universities, the universities are a cesspool of liberalism. That's all they are. And so the people who have been in control and continue to be in control get to push the narrative. And as long as we continue to fund them at unbelievable rates, then this is going to continue. And so specifically when you, you know, you, you have a, uh, your target audience in, in recruiting football players, as you pointed out, has a profile. Most of them are black. Many of them have a single mother. And you pointed out the profile for that. I think um, I think he's doing a serious disservice. There's there's one thing you said in particular. You uh, you and I could probably talk for several hours about, you know, your your 20 minute monologue. But the, believe it or not, there's one small thing that stuck out to me that I, I think is actually biological. You said, I love how you, uh, I'm sorry, you said you're not going to act like you weren't placed in a position of leadership by birth. And I think that's biological. You and I are not wired to be as emotional and empathetical as women are. That's why you have the nurturing mother. Their job is to look at the child that has needs and give them whatever that singular person is for survival. The dad is out, as we've pointed out, procreating, providing. I mean, you, you've got to go out and be outside the house. Oftentimes the mother is tasked with doing these things. And so the reason the man is a leader is because he can give you a more well thought out, logical, um, true understanding of a situation. And he says, this is what's happening for all people. This is the most logical thing to look at. I think women look at the individual person and they say, this person really needs this. We all need to cater to that one thing. And that's not the reality. This, I mean, it, you know, it's a, I'm probably in the same boat as you. Everybody watched this and says, well, TJ's really a sexist pig. He doesn't think women should be in leadership. I'm just telling you that I think women are seriously wired to be empathetic. It is a wonderful thing about them, but it's not the greatest leadership trait in the world. The greatest leadership trait in the world is to be able to have clear thinking, well thought out, logical takes on every circumstance so you can do what's best for the whole. And just to clarify your point, we don't think that men are perfect in that regard. A lot of times we get lost in our emotions as well, make bad decisions, misread a situation, blah, blah, mm. blah. But we're wired, if acting properly, to do that. If, if acting properly and, and working in balance with a woman where she's more empathetic, you're more cold and rational, that's how you become one. And, mm. and act as one in both interest as one. We've now turned everything into an individual pursuit mm. and, and we, we're, we're not interested in complimenting each other. We're interested in seizing power from each other and control uh, from each other. And so I, I'm t I look at uh, Jim Harbaugh, he has no greater purpose in life than winning games by any means necessary. And so if he has to bring on a full staff of female coaches, he'll do that at some point uh, because he believes, you know, I, I'll, I'll have enough male coaches to actually coach these guys. Okay. Uh, you know, I just need to make sure I have all the enticement. TJ, I'm gonna ask you a very real question. And, and I know uh, you have been more committed in your Christian journey earlier in life uh, than I was, and so our college 
football experiences may have been a little different and the things that I saw and the friends that I ran around and a lot of the activity that we were involved in would lead me to believe this situation he's dropping this young lady into could be very volatile. I mean, very volatile and spin out of control in, in a way that could be embarrassing for Michigan. In term, you put a 22, 23-year-old, uh, relatively or attractive female into a football locker room uh, in, in a coaching position, not because again, I, I know some women that work in the video on the media side of football programs and, and, and all that, but you drop this woman into this environment with a bunch of other young boys, and, and, and I'm just going to say something just very real. I don't know if I have time to fully unpack it, but there's a profile of female athletes as well. And if you talk to any coach and have a real honest conversation uh, with coaches at the high school or collegiate level, female athletes' approach to sex is very similar to male athletes' approach to sex. And their both groups are very promiscuous. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think this thing could, I, 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 I know me and the Ball State football team I played on in the 80s, we couldn't handle, uh, we couldn't handle the female trainers and all the, the, the shenanigans that went on between our trainers and guys on the, on the team, let alone someone that's pretending to be a coach. I, I just, we'll never hear how this truly plays out at Michigan. I think it could be dangerous, but you played at a power five level, maybe there and, and in a more recent time, maybe there's more checks and balances uh, now and more watching over the players. But I, I just think this could be, I think it could be dangerous and embarrassing. I think you're begging for a sexual harassment claim at some point. I think that's true. I will tell you, we had a female nutritionist whose office was right there in the weight room. I was good friends with her. I still talk to her today. Um, She was a very strong personality. And so it takes a very special girl with a, you know, she, she had some more masculine traits to her as far as aggression and not putting up with stuff. And so people knew they couldn't cross that line. And if they did, all it would take, certainly, I mean, this is 2012 was my last year. Even in 2012, that's probably slightly before the Me Too movement. All she would have had to do is walk right over to the next office and that had been taken care of very quickly. So it takes that kind of personality. The issue is what happens if she wasn't interested in the guy. She was, uh, you know, she was in her probably late thirties at the time, you know, she was, she was there to do her job. And so it's a very different thing than hiring a 23 year old who is the age of remember uh, a bunch of these guys got extra years for the pandemic stuff. There's, there's going to be a bunch of six year seniors out there. There's going to be guys on the field that are her age are older. It's a very different thing than having a 38 year old nutritionist. And we had trainers as well. I, I don't think it's a smart idea. We've we've talked about um, Urban Meyer putting his players in poor positions, surrounding himself with guys. I I don't know that I'd put this in the exact same thing just by hiring someone. I think I think he put the 
woman, a very unqualified person in a poor position so that it's going to hurt potentially qualified women. Although in football, I don't think there is such a thing. Potentially qualified women in the future when she fails because she's going to fail objectively because she doesn't know anything about quarterbacks. Let's take a woman who played basketball five minutes ago and put her in the room to teach the most complex position in all of football. Why? You could put them with a D lineman. It's A, B, or C gap. Show up. You got one of those gaps. You can do it. But instead, you put her with the quarterbacks and you decide, hey, we're going to teach you everything about this game and we got to teach you so you can teach them because we know you don't know anything about it. I mean, it's it is it is all for show top to bottom. There's not one part of this that isn't for show. And you you one of my favorite things about you is that you like to you you display it yourself but you have a very good r- radar for when things are genuine could there be a more disingenuous thing than you're that you're doing to your team right now than trying to get them to believe that a 23 year old basketball playing female is qualified to teach them about playing quarterback in a power five conference i'm going to tell you the the word that you threw out that really caught my ear is insecurity. This is a young person, 23. Uh, She's walking, gonna walk into a locker room where everybody in that locker room is going to question her qualifications. It's going to uh, make her even more insecure. And Mm -hmm. I know that she has a lot of confidence from being a female basketball player. But now she's walking into a football environment, and yes, her dad was a high school football coach. Yes, her brother's on the Michigan football team. But there's no one in that locker room, player or coach, who's going to think this is a qualified coach. This is the best graduate assistant we could have brought in. This is a legitimate coach. It's going to mess with her insecurity, and that when people are really in tune with their insecurity, it causes them to make mistakes. It causes them to act in ways that they normally wouldn't. And so I I agree with you. She's being put in a position to fail. I, I, you know, and look, maybe Michigan football team and, you know, I used to live in Ann Arbor, covered the Michigan football team and basketball team for years in in the in the 1990s. Maybe it's it's so liberal and maybe it's so woke that this Michigan locker room is is will be unlike anything that I've ever experienced. A, a hundred guys age 18 to 23 or 24 who are all well behaved and will never say a foul word, never say what they really think. You know, maybe college has just changed. I just know the world that I used to live in at that age, there's going to be some stuff said that shouldn't be said. There's Mm. gonna be some honest comments that will, again, undermine her confidence and security. But it's a, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh have won the day on the recruiting trail. This, didn't, Harbaugh, didn't he go spend the night in someone's backyard or camping Mm. in a tree or something? I mean, there's nothing he won't do uh, for attention and, and to try to catch Nick Saban and the SEC. And mm. this is just another stunt. I, I do think because of this diversity, inclusion, and equity religion we have going on in America, I think other schools are going to go down this path. I think by next year, 
half the Power Five schools will, will have some sort of ceremonial female coach. I hope that's not true because there is something to, you know, it's, we've decided that inclusion is the greatest thing in the world. And I, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Exclusion is actually a good thing. If you say you get to go into an exclusive club, you're in an exclusive club. There's only a couple other people that have ever do, done that. Do you want to have an inclusive marriage? Should you have 35 people in your marriage? Is that a good thing? You want to have an exclusive <laughs> marriage with just you and your wife. You know, the football uh, locker room is an exclusive place where you know that you can tell jokes that you can't say out in the public that aren't going to be tweeted out. We were, we were not allowed to tweet anything. Twitter came around, I think, 2007, and so it was around during my existence. We weren't allowed to tweet anything that coaches said or that players said or that happened in the locker room. We couldn't take videos. Uh, Coach Pinkle always took everything. If we did, we got in big trouble for, for having even a video of something that happened in the locker room. You weren't allowed to do it. The idea was we have this exclusive insular place where it's your family that you can trust what's going on. And so you can say something borderline to your buddy that you know is not going to get out and is going to be all over the media. And you can make jokes you wouldn't make elsewhere. And you guys can make mistakes and grow and learn as you're supposed to as 18-year-old men and it not be public knowledge. But you put a woman in there, suddenly Title IX's involved, suddenly there's investigations, just making sure she, she's a woman, she needs to be treated a certain way. So it's no longer this exclusive club where you just got 18 to 22 year old men and you have coaches that went through this prior to it. Know what 18 to 22 year old men act like, the things that they've been through and how to move them forward to become better men. That's what this was. And now you start injecting women into it. And now your learning process actually has consequences. It's a very bad thing. Big picture. Uh, my overall thesis that like men are collaborating with people who are trying to undermine male leadership, undermine the patriarchy, that we're basically committing assisted suicide and we're all actually Jack Kevorkian. Uh, and, and I tie it to obviously with what Harbaugh is doing, what Adidas is doing, promoting men who become women and compete against uh, women in sports, to uh, Apple get coming out with these male uh, pregnant emojis. A am I making too much of what we as men are doing to undermine ourselves? Not at all. And uh, you may have to cut me off here because I have I have a few thoughts on this. So if we don't have time, you just tell me to shut up. But no, we got plenty I, of time. Go ahead. All right. I think we have been told and we have decided it's OK to skirt all responsibility. And when that happens, you largely cease to exist because if nobody relies on you for anything on a day to day practical basis, why do you matter? I get it. Look, you and I, Christian men. We, we believe that everyone was made in the image of God and that you are a deeply loved child of God. So you have value, but on a practical day-to-day -day basis, if you don't take on responsibility, you're going to have a seriously empty, aimless life, and that's not the life that God intended for us. And so I wanted to, I did a little bit of research before the show here on what would, what did things look like in the 1960s? You were coming off 
middle of the civil rights movement. You were coming in not too far, what a decade and a half removed from uh, World War II. And you had you had men who actually had been through it. Many of these guys that were leading the social conversation and such actually fought in this war. And so what I was trying to figure out, what were those guys like compared to what we're doing right now? Because there's no way uh, we are anything like them. So one thing I, I was trying to figure out, single family homes. Okay, you, you talked about mothers. And right now, we have the highest. We, we, <laughs> we are abandoning our children at a record number, not just in America, but in the entire world. 2019, the Pew Research Center found that the United States has the highest rate of children living with a single parent in the entire world, 23%. China, you mentioned, going the other direction, taking care of their kids, building up men, 3%. So that number, by the way, 23%, has tripled since 1960. Back in 1960, still much higher than we want. We're abandoning our children at three times the rate that we were in 1960. This, this other part has been well documented. Our divorce rate is about 50%. You know, it's like the divorce rate has nearly doubled since 1960. Back when we said, hey, this is our family. Come hell or high water, I'm taking care of my family. So that was our, you know, that was our instinct of, of providing. We're going to be here for our kids. You know, we talked about provide, protect, procreate. Procreating... We don't want to take on responsibility. We are, for the first time in our history, not at a fertility replacement level. We're at 1.64 children per woman. A replacement level is 2.1, which means for the first time in history, our population is going to be shrinking because we're not having enough kids to take the place of the people that are dying off. Meanwhile, to to uh, talk about with, with China, China from 1980 to 2016 only allowed one kid. They have realized that's crazy, and they have since, this was just May of last year, raised that limit to three. While we're having less kids than ever, they're trying to have more kids than ever. And obviously with the abortion thing, we're saying, no, 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 we don't want the responsibility of abortion. We've killed 62 million of our own children since Roe v. Wade was passed. So it's like every time there's an opportunity to skirt responsibility, we do it. We don't protect our family like we used to. I mean, I'm just going through what we talked about back in January. There are several shortfalls. There was a poll that was conducted just a few days ago by Quinnipiac. It said, hey, Ukraine's being invaded right now. They're at their country, the people, their houses are being invaded. Would you stay and fight like they're doing or would you flee the country? This is stunning to me. Only 55% of the people in this poll said they would stick around and fight. Further disheartening, Americans ages 18 to 34, my age group, the most physically capable, the people obviously that should be showing up and fighting, only 45% said they would remain. So the least likely to stay and fight are the youngest, most capable. Comparatively, the people that were born in the 60s and 70s, the 50 to 64 age group, 66% of them wanted to. So you have people that like, forget any responsibility whatsoever. Now I'll just go live over here. Now I don't need to protect my family. And the last one, obviously, as you've brought up in your monologue, the, the most glaring example of our lack of responsibility in protecting our children is this transgender issue. We have men letting their five-year-old boys who you're supposed to be training up to be legitimate men in what is a cruel, harsh world. And you're telling them, hey, if you feel like a woman, it's all good, man. I'll get you some high heels, a dress, some lipstick. We'll get you some hormone treatment. You'll be a woman before you know it. 
And that is a transition that will give them a 40% chance of trying to commit suicide at some point in their life. And you're just, you're encouraging it. These are the young men of the future that we're confusing and telling them. Forget, men are cowards now. What are the men that we're training going to be like when they get up and they're expected to lead? You know, there's all of this is a skirt of responsibility that men want no part of it. We've been told, hey, you failed, but it's all good. It's not your fault. And in the moment, that feels good. Oh, okay, it's not, it's not my fault. No big deal. Let's move on. You get told that enough, pretty soon you don't have any responsibility. And you're the most easily manipulated people in the world. If they can convince us that there is no difference between a man and a woman, what can't they convince us of? TJ, I, I, I want to, and I was... At one point, I was looking for my card where I could write notes and because I'm older than you. And so my memory goes in and out. But one thing you said that caught my attention, the, the little passage where you're talking about who would stay here and fight. Mm. And this is something I think about all the time, to be quite honest with you. And, and uh, when a country abandons all of its biblical beliefs. And, and so there used to be a lot of us that thought God and country, and this is God's country. And so part of like, when you go to the civil war and why people were willing to fight, it's because like they felt like America was part of God's vision. And protecting our founding documents and getting our country in line with what God believes about all men being created equal, that was worth dying for. And so now that we've become a very secular country, I literally ask myself like, okay, yes, I'm willing to defend this country, but I don't know what this country represents anymore. I don't know what we believe in. I, I don't, I don't, just to be it right now, today, if you had to ask me, are we God's country? I would say no. I would say we're Babylon. I would say we're Sodom and Gomorrah. I would say we're Satan's playpen. <laughs> I don't know if I want to die for this country because what would I be dying for? So that we could uh, kill more babies, uh, have more sexual transition surgeries, uh, you know, justify every sin. And, and, and again, I hope people were clear in my monologue. It's like when I point out Tim Cook and his sin of thinking his gay lifestyle is a gift from God, I, I, that would be the same as me arguing that my gluttony is a gift from God or the sexual promiscuity that I participate in was a gift from God. And so I'm not putting Tim Cook in a little special category away from me. The only difference between me and Tim Cook really is I know and recognize and admit my sinful behavior and try to fight against it. I'm not going to justify it by saying, well, you know, why would I have these desires? Why would I desire McDonald's if it wasn't, if God didn't place those desires? That, that's my sinful nature. Uh, I think his sexual lifestyle is his sinful nature. But, but this country seems to be going in a direction that Tim Cook is right and Jason Whitlock is wrong, and it do, it makes me say, oh, 
What, what I don't know, maybe I want to go, I want to go die for a country that actually believes in the Bible and mm. God's will and is trying to align itself with God's will. I don't think our country's doing that anymore. But what country is? So that's the question, right? You're going to flee and go where? Who, who do you want to die for? You've got to die for something, and it's your own personal beliefs. And this is why that poll was split up Republicans to Democrats. 68% of Republicans said they would die for this country. Only 52% of Democrats said they would do it. And so the Republicans tend to be more religious, tend to believe in the Constitution, tend to believe in the greatness of America, and are willing to die for that. And I don't find it, you know, I'm, I'm 31 years old. Uh, you know, you and I talk about, I don't have the same life experience as many other people. And I don't, maybe I'm naive. I die for my beliefs and what this country can provide for me and what I think is possible. I don't care what some idiots on Twitter believe. And I don't care what, like who gets to decide what this country represents. I get to decide what I represent and I'm a part of this country. And so are you. And we at this point have a platform. And so I don't, I don't care what Joe Biden thinks. I care that the founders created the most durable constitution that has ever created. Most constitutions, you go look at the history of these other countries, there'll be a document that lasts four years, 10 years, 20 years tops. We are working off of the same document from our founding that is the longest running document in history. It is durable. It is something that we've had to make tweaks to, but it is a durable, wonderful document that's given us freedom. And that is what I want to go to protect. So it's like, what does the country stand for? I don't know. I tend to think come this summer, Roe v. Wade is getting overturned. That's a big step in our favor. You know, uh, if you listen to the hearings, Kavanaugh was actually the guy who came forward and said he, he made some interesting not to get into it right now, but made made some interesting things. He was the guy that I was worried about that would cross over with Roberts. I actually think Kavanaugh is on the side of pro-life, and I think that's likely to be overturned, saving the lives of millions of babies. And so I am happy to die for a country that I have the ability to fight to continue to make it a better place than wh where am I going to go? Russia? To where I show up, get, I see state propaganda, and I've just got to go to war, and I've got to yell loud enough in their propaganda videos, or I get shot in the head. There's not a better place on earth. And this is why I get frustrated when people are like, well, we could just flee. Not that you were just doing this. But the idea is, where are you going to go? This is still the greatest place in the history of the earth, and we have some control over this. I, I guess, and I, I like all your points, w what I'm saying, I'm not going to go anywhere. But what I'm willing to die for are my beliefs in my biblical worldview. And, and there's nothing they can do that will get me to move off of that. Mm. And so th there's, so I'm willing to die for my biblical beliefs. I guess I'm just at a cross, because for many years, my, my brother was in the military, my dad was in the military, my uncles were in the military, and and, I get it and support that and have regrets that I was never in the military because I'm there was a time when I could say unequivocally, I'll die for this country. I, I'm so perplexed by this country now that it's, it's just it's harder for me to say that because I, 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 get, I just can't figure out what direction. It's a, a lot of days I feel like this this country satanic and that. Maybe we deserve God's wrath for turning our back 
uh, on him and, and the things that made us great. And so, uh, you know, I, I love this country. I love the opportunities it provided me and my family. Uh, but but the, the way we seem to be headed kind of scares me. And so when I hear people uh, say, well, I don't know if I, and again, I'm not going to flee. I'm not going anywhere. And, and, you know, these satanic leftists, when they come to my door, I, I hope they're packing. Because, uh, you nope, know, you're I'm packing. not going easy. Uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, I, anyway, it, it's an interesting uh, conversation. I'm going to bring these ministers in and get some expert opinion. Uh, thank you, TJ. Uh, appreciate the conversation. Get your Fearless Army swag. Shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Uh, Tennessee Harmony. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for a little harmony uh, with Pastor Bobby Harrington and Anthony Walker from renew.org. These guys are with us uh, every Wednesday, as you know. Uh, so we'll start by uh, blessing this conversation. I've been a little heated. Maybe you guys can take some of the heat out of the room uh, with a little prayer, and then we'll have a discussion following up on what uh, I started talking about at the top of the show and what TJ and I just got done talking about. With, talking about. So uh, please uh, bless the conversation. I'll pray. Father God, we're thankful again for the opportunity to uh, share in this platform to share your kingdom, uh, share your plans for your creation, how you designed it and how you expect for it to be executed. Father, we pray that in our passion for this discussion, uh, that we reflect uh, your values, that we share what you would have for men in leadership in this world. Everything that we say, Father, we pray is pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, so I want to start my overall thesis is that diversity, inclusion, and equity have become America's new religion. And that religion is dedicated, pointed at uh, dislodging men from positions of power and leadership. And uh, I think that uh, the LGBTQ, women who are feminists, and the racial social justice warriors are all in alignment uh, with this Marxist coalition that, and, and so a lot of it for, for black people becomes very confusing because we've been brainwashed into believing uh, undermining, dismantling white men is in the best interest of black people. And so that's a lot of the packaging and anybody that's like, well, hold on, male leadership and, and uh, I'm not for dismantling that. I, I think that's God's order, but if people just say, oh, well, you just, you're protecting white supremacy or what? No, I'm protecting God's order. Uh, and so I see it in the pulpit, I hear it in the pulpit. You know, I, I watch some form of a religious sermon most days of the week, uh, and I just hear it everywhere. Inclusion, diversity, equity. And, and so I just wanna start that, are those words, are those principles 
taught in the Bible? Or is that so? Because I don't remember hearing a lot of that growing up in the church. It seems relatively new that ministers are constantly talking about diversity, inclusion and equity. So. I think that your analysis that this is an alternative religion, diversity, inclusion and equity, and it's become the alternative religion and that it is a competitor to biblical Christianity, to the Judeo-Christian values upon which the country was formed for the most part. I think that analysis is accurate. Um, I would, I wanna do something. When an FBI agent wants to identify false uh, printed money, they become experts in the real thing. And then when they see something that's not the real thing, then they know it's not the real thing. So I think for us, the best starting place is to say that scripture, God's word reveals the real thing. Everything else is counterfeit. So in terms of how I would answer your question, by the way, TJ Moe did a fantastic job of summarizing some of the stats and just laying out the picture on what's happening today. And in contradistinction to that, what you find in scripture is that God created men and women differently and that there is a complementary harmony between men and women where God calls men to lead like Jesus. And um, there is an inclusion in Christ for men and women and people from all races. So that when the Bible defines inclusion, it's we are included in Christ where God calls us back to the created order and the created order has men leading their wives and their families in the way of Jesus and it's a unique role. And in addition to that, when it comes to diversity, we're all one in Christ so that uh, racial and gender differences, uh, they're all secondary to the fact that we have uh, unity in the most important thing you can ever have unity in, and that is our identity in Christ and our eternal destiny together as equal brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Bible has equality with complementarity which acknowledges the differences and male leadership in the midst of those differences. He hit it very well. Um, as he pointed out, we God did make us uh, male and female differently. Uh, we all have kind of different cultures and things all around the world. Uh, but all of that, as he pointed out, is inclusive in the gospel of Christ. Everybody, he says, whoever obeys the gospel is in Christ. So that's everybody. You're all, you all have an opportunity to be in Christ. And in Christ, uh, everybody is treated equally. In Christ, everybody will be judged equally based on sin or their obedience to the gospel. So all of those things are included. Now, as it plays through, you know, we've taken those words in culture uh, to a different dynamic. And, and when we try to force that outside of God, we get some of the things that we get in culture today. Jason, I want to say this, too. I really think that you're right in saying that these ideas, which will just go with the acronym D-I-E, die, diversity, inclusion and equity, 
that ultimately it is from the, the father of lies, which is Satan, who wants to rob, kill, and destroy. It's a philosophy that is inconsistent with the way God made us as men and women. And to the extent that we adopt it, we're adopting something that we are not wired for, and it is only going to lead to difficulties, and it's going to ruin the harmony that God created between men and women and between races, because it's foreign Marxist ideas that are inconsistent with who God made us to be in Christ. So what do you all, I think we're probably all in agreement, but I would like for you all to elaborate. I point to just these symptoms like, well, here's Jim Harbaugh on the football installing a female coach that's unqualified and, and it's just, he's doing it for publicity. I'm, I, here's Adidas putting out national commercials, uh, a man that has surgery to become a woman, is courageous and look how heroic this man is. He's playing volleyball against women and destroying them. And then Apple, the app store, we all got these phones and now they're coming out with emojis with pregnant men. And, and so I just like all of this, I just tied those three things together, but we could spend all day pointing to things that are like saying like, don't be a man or manhood is evil. And if you really want to be a better man, become more like a woman. Sure. That seems to be the message that's being hammered. Yeah. It, it is totally the message. And let's look at some of the early statistics on as culture moves more and more that way. Uh, well, one of the things we're seeing with Gen uh, Z uh, is that 20% of them now identify as uh, gay, lesbian, or transgender. One in five, basically one in five of people under 25 are now confused about their gender. Let's talk about young men and how young men in particular are not thriving. Uh, women outnumber young men going to university, going to medical school, going to law school, go, uh, working on PhDs. Uh, young men are uh, not sure about themselves anymore. They're trying to become more like women or they're just rejecting it all and withdrawing to video games and porn. And uh, there's a real crisis, for example, with competent young women who can't find very many competent young men because we've told these young men, don't try to be unique as a man, try to somehow be transgender or androgynous. And it's wreaking havoc that we're only starting to see the implications of. And it's, it's just not God's best. God loves us. He doesn't want that for us. But we've rejected God in favor of these ideas. You know, I always go back to the beginning because that is where uh, we've taken this downward slope. And that is where I'm seeing uh, our culture take the same downward slope. God tells Adam and Eve, do not eat from this particular tree. Do not do that. But then the next chapter, the scripture says in Genesis chapter three, that Eve saw the tree it looked good. It looked desirable for food. And so as the enemy begins to whisper to her, all these things won't happen that God said would happen. She eats it. And then she gives some to her husband with her, Adam. Now, Adam had the prime opportunity to stand up as a man 
and say, hold on, wait, who are you listening to? No, God said this. No, ma'am, we're not going to do that. We're going to obey the words of God. Put that down. Let's not do that. But Adam didn't stand up. And so when he doesn't stand up, all of this now enters in. Right now, we're in the same boat where if men don't stand up, I understand that society wants us to relate to our feelings and society wants to say uh, that gender is some construct and it's separate from your, you know, plumbing and all this kind of stuff. That's what's but what does God say? And then when we let society tell us what to do with our kids, we have completely now we've already let society tell us what to do with ourselves. But now we let society tell us what to do with our kids We're now letting society rule when all man has to do is stand up and say, no, not my family, not my marriage, not my my kids, not on my watch. We're not going in that direction. And just that standing up sends a message. The only other problem that I see with that, though, is that now because we've let society take the lead on it, now our response society tends to define. So if I disagree with your orientation, now I don't accept you as a human being. If I disagree with the way that you think about things, now I hate you or now I'm scared of you. That's why the phrase homophobic bothers me. I'm not afraid of you, you know, arachnophobia. I'm afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of people who are homosexual or I'm not afraid of people who struggle with identity and trade. I'm not afraid of you. I love you. And as God loves us, sometimes God loves us so much, he tells us no to things that will cause us uh, irreparable damage. So the fact that I stand up and say, let me tell you, I love you, but God loves you more and God loves you best. And what God has for you is so much better. You're probably trying to fill a God sized hole in your life. And you fill it with your own indulgences. Somebody else looks at you and you think that this is now it. No, 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 no. Let's go back to what God says, because he has the best interest for your life. And so part of the conceit and how I conceptualize this show and why, you know, I talk about a fearless army and why I have Tennessee Harmony every Wednesday is I'm trying to get men to understand that we need to come into harmony as men, particularly in Christ, those of us that are believers. We have to come into harmony with each other and recognize that all of this uh, created division, you can go back 100, 200 years, it's all created division, is all being done to unseat man from his role as leader. And, and I, I believe, you guys can, you're the experts, but I believe like the devil can't win unless he takes man completely out of his role. And, and the success I'm seeing the devil and people that want to end uh, male leadership is they have those of us of different skin colors, particularly men, at odds with each other. And that's why I get on, it's very intentional why I sought out Anthony and Bobby. 
I wanted on Wednesdays to have a conversation between a black man, white minister, and, and try to model for people how to engage with each other and move beyond the media-driven, social media-driven, petty racial differences that they try to point us towards. So we don't see each other as Christians. And, and, and that's, again, why the race idolatry the, the, is so annoying to me because it's a tool being used for a much bigger deception that's, going, that's bringing us all down is, is Christian men. We've abandoned our role. And this has been in America the last 60 years. I'm looking at Dr. King and their generation deal with just out of the closet flaming bigots. They could, as a Christian, Dr. King and that generation could deal with those guys. And we allegedly can't get along with people over microaggressions. Oh, oh, he said, boy, and I don't like to be called boy. It doesn't matter that he calls everybody in his family boy. He called me a boy and I'm black and he needs to be sensitive enough to know that when I hear the word boy, I melt and go into a puddle because a white man called me a boy. I'm that weak. And this man can't recognize my weakness. And, 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 and so I look at us and compared to previous generations and the things that are preventing us from seeing the Christianity in each other and the Christ in each other, that Dr. King, even with these guys, water hoses and guns and bombs or whatever, he still knew that's, that's the son of God just like I am. And, and even though he's flawed and messed up, but we can't. And so th that's, I see the, the, from the, I get the feminists and the women. That's just, that's as old as time and term. People love power and, and women want power. Hats off to them. Not gonna let them have it, but hats off to them. <laughs> the LGBTQ crowd, I get it. They got a desire. It's no different than my gluttony. I got an unhealthy desire in me that, you know, I've been struggling with for a long time. Get it, I, I get there. And so they, th yeah, if we just take down man and all these godlike rules for man, I'll be free to be as fat as I want to be and have as much gay sex, I guess, as they want to have and the world will be a better place. I, I get it. Those of us that are Christians, though, that can't see beyond race, I don't get it. I, 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 don't, I, I, I just don't get it at all uh, because we're Christians. We should know better. We should know that my sins are no better, no worse than your sins. And as a Christian, I'm working on my sins. I hope you're working on yours. I'm gonna pray that you're working on yours. But just as men, we gotta stand up and take responsibility yeah. for this chaos yeah. that we're unleashing on young people. Yeah. I'm gonna be dead and gone. Yeah. And they will have legalized pedophilia for these kids yeah. behind me and, and it, it it drives me nuts. Yeah, I, I, I just want to say amen to everything you're saying. So the vision in Scripture, in fact, we have a passage. Let me, let me uh, uh, have it drawn up. It's Ephesians 5, and I just want to call it out because I think that 
we just need it. Uh, Ephesians 5.23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, some people are trying to explain that away and say head doesn't mean authority. It means source. The husband is the source of the wife because God took Eve out of Adam's rib. That's actually not what the word is, is saying. They're trying, to, they're trying to explain it away. What's happening, if I were to summarize it all, is that you have so much cultural pressure that churches and pastors and Christians are caving and finding ways to reinterpret the Bible to fit the culture. The other passage, and I'll, I'm just going to refer to it, is Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what we have a picture of, we have a, we have a man who's going to be like Jesus. He's going to be an authority in, in his relationship with his wife. The buck's going to stop with him. He's going to be an authority with his family. He's going to lay his life down for them, but he's going to lead them. We use the acronym REAL. He's going to reject passivity, expect God's greater reward, accept responsibility, and lead courageously. And black and white, based on Scripture, for the love of God and the people in our churches and the people in our communities, we've got to champion that leader and say that that's what God wants. And black and white, uh, we got to stand together on that and help people to follow that and plant churches that follow that and disciple men to follow that and reclaim the high ground of Scripture. You know, that uh, you mentioned in your uh, response there about, you know, how men are not uh, standing up and how they're letting these things happen. When Adam didn't stand, Eve took on the leadership role. She's what well, I'm going to do. And she's listening to someone other than God and someone other listening than Adam. To Satan. Absolutely. And the man was there passively by He's passively there. So, so that will happen if we don't do it. And then when God responds, God says, Adam, where are you? Who told you that? You know what Adam starts doing? Well, that woman you gave me. He's blaming instead of taking responsibility. One of the things that I like that T.J. Moe said is the response that culture is given is, oh, well, it's not your fault. Uh, well, I was raised under the understanding that some things will happen in your life that are not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Right. Uh, it's our responsibility right. to respond godly. One of the guys that really inspires me in scripture is a man by the name of Gideon. When God comes to Gideon, uh, Gideon's people, Israel, uh, were being attacked by the Midianites. They were attacked every year at harvest time. And so God comes to Gideon and he says to Gideon, go, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, wait a minute. Are you sure you got the right guy? He said, because my tribe is the weakest tribe and my family is the weakest in the tribe. And I'm the smallest thing in my dad's house. Are you sure you have the right guy? And God keeps responding to him. Go in this might of yours. God is speaking to the warrior that is within every man. Mm. Even when you don't think that, that you have it. Fabric he put it in it there. What it means to be a man. Yeah, yeah. He put it in. And he speaks to that to get Gideon to respond to the trouble that he's in. Let me fast forward the tape. So now he's got Gideon leading Israel against the Midianites. Gideon has 32,000 men. The Midianites have 135,000 men. So we're outnumbered at the onset. But God says, ah, you've got too many. 
He said, tell the guys that are scared to go back home. And immediately 22,000 men leave. So you go from 32,000 outnumbered to 10,000 outnumbered. God says, ah, there's still too many. He whittles the number down to 300. 300 versus 135,000. Here's the point. We don't lose because we're outnumbered. We don't lose because uh, we're overwhelmed. We lose because we don't stand with God. We lose if we don't stand up. God took the 300 and his might and delivered Israel from the Midianites. 300 versus 135,000. So when I hear you and I hear where, where the world is going, I think about we're outnumbered as Christians as it relates to at all these issues that are going on. That may be the case. OK, there may be more of them than let's just go with the argument. There may be. But I've got God on my side. And if I stand with God, we'll never lose. We may be outnumbered. We may be overwhelmed, but we won't lose if we stand up and we stand with God. So I'm I'm ready. I know you mentioned some of the things that may be happening with pedophilia and all the other stuff. Not on my watch, not on my watch, because I stand with God. Uh, give me the chapters to that. Gideon is in Judges chapter six, verses uh, chapter six through eight. It tells the whole life of Gideon. That that's the story I needed to hear. Three hundred versus one hundred thirty thousand. Yes. It don't take many. No. Three hundred fearless men standing with God. God's for us. Who can be against us? Absolutely. I'm done. That was, <laughs> I, that's the story I needed. Judges six and eight. I'll be reading that tonight. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, that's Tennessee Harmony. That's tomorrow. I think I hear. Uh, we will see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving all the seed when we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just